My name is Sean Thomas, and I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great, or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So October is National Physical Therapy Month, and what we as physical therapists want to make sure, especially at JAG1 Physical Therapy, is everybody understands that physical therapists aren't just for when you get hurt. They can help you biomechanically. If the muscle is imbalanced and there's a biomechanical deviation, you're setting yourself up for pain. Please come and visit your physical therapist. Say hello to your community therapist at JAG1 PT, and ultimately understand that we are here to help you prevent injury as well. Get back to the life you love at JAG1 Physical Therapy, the most awarded physical therapy provider in New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. What's going on, folks? Your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas here, back in the building with another episode of the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building. And folks, it is the month of October still. We are celebrating physical therapists. I'm being one of them, and there's so many others who are doing great things. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So every single week, I'm bringing you a new therapist from my company, Jaguar Physical Therapy, who's going to talk to you about what they're doing uh, and how they're changing the world. But before we go into that, Be More Today, as you already know, is a movement. We've been doing this thing since the beginning of time, three years now in the making. Be More Today show continues to grow. And now we're heard in over 63 countries, over 28,000 downloads. So thank you so much for your love and your support. It does not go unnoticed. And for more information, bemoretoday.com for my book. Uh, our, our more merch store is open with your visors and your hats and your uh, water bottles. So go out there and check those things out. And of course, the podcast can be found on every major platform and of course on YouTube. So go out there and subscribe today. You will not be disappointed. My quote for today is simple as always. Most people want the convenience of transformation but not the inconvenience required to transform by Lisa Nichols. Last uh, week, I was in Chicago doing the Chicago Marathon, and it was crazy. Uh, 
But we got through it, me and my squad, right? We did our thing. And as I think about the process of training for this thing for the last year, what it took to, to really get this thing done, it's transformation. It took a lot of morning workouts. It took a lot of waking up when no one else was awake. A lot of workouts when no one was awake. Doing things to make sure that my body was right, my mind was right, nutrition was right, having the right shoes, the right uh, socks, the right sneakers, all these kind of things just to make sure that when the race did go off, I was prepared. And to transform your body to be in marathon shape or even for the shape of anything you're trying to do, it takes time. And we all want the convenience of that, right? You want to be at the end. You want to look good in your whatever. You want to feel good in your whatnot. But it takes time to get that thing done. And the inconvenience of transforming is tough. Whether you talk about physical therapy or you're talking about something that you want to do in your life, it takes time to get that thing done. And no one really posts all those things about the process, right? What happens behind the scenes and what people have to do to, to get from A to B. Or if you're going from an injury, right? The days you're doing therapy, the the months you're doing therapy, the pain and the struggles it takes to go from that injury to being back to where you want to be. It takes time. But we all want to get there. And my charge for you today is just to remember that most people want the convenience of transformation, but the inconvenience is required to get that thing done. It's not going to happen overnight, right? You training for a marathon is not going to happen overnight. You getting past your injury or past your issue is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time to get that thing done and effort to be able to put in place what you know to get to where you want to be. And my guest on the show for today is the embodiment of that. She uh, has the ability and the pleasure, really, of seeing people transform their lives on a regular basis, whether it comes from injuries that they're going through or just trying to get back onto the playing field. And her name is Katherine Haskins. Now, Katherine received her Bachelor of Science degree from Shenandoah University in 2008, where she also played softball as a pitcher and center fielder. During her time at SU, Catherine helped lead her team to a USA South Conference Championship victory in 2008 and was also named an ESPN Academic All-American. She continued her education at Shenandoah University where she graduated first in her class in 2011 with her doctorate in physical therapy. She went on to obtain her board certification as an orthopedic clinical specialist, OCS, the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties and also became a certified myofascial trigger point therapist through the Myo Pain Seminars, a dry needle certification, as well as a certified cervical and temporomandibular therapist through the Physical Therapy Board of Craniofascial and Cervical Therapeutics. After practicing in outpatient orthopedics and treating patients with very musculoskeletal diagnoses for a number of years, Catherine pursued her interest in the upper extremity by completing a hand therapy fellowship at the Hospital for Special Surgery. Kathy went on to successfully obtain her designation as a certified hand therapist and joined the JAG-1 team shortly thereafter. Catherine has a special passion for exercising creativity through custom orthotic fabrication and also enjoys taking a global approach to treatment through integration and application of her orthopedic knowledge of more distant movement systems that can affect the mechanics of the upper extremity. During her time in Jaguar, Catherine has focused on building a strong physician rapport to increase referrals and foster constructive working relationships in order to optimize patient outcomes and in doing so, make Jaguar hand therapy the clear choice for the care of their patients. She has also enjoyed having the opportunity to pay it forward and promote hand therapy through mentorships 
and those interested in pursuing the field. Catherine finds great reward in her work as a hand therapist and looking forward to helping shape the future of hand therapy here at JAG1. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my guest for the PT Appreciation Month, Catherine Haskins. Catherine, what is going on? Hi, good morning. Happy to be here. I think it's a really great thing that you're doing, uh, getting different PTs and kind of finding out, you know, where they've been, where they, how they got there, where they're going. Um, so, you know, just uh, living the dream in the PT world. Yes, absolutely. Living the dream. And we always say that and we do mean it because this is not, I mean, it's a job for us, but I really feel like it's, it's almost kind of fun, right? It's kind of fun going to work, helping people get better applying what you know and seeing the journey and the growth of so many people. It's its a profession, it's a career, it's definitely a job, but it is kind of living the dream, right? I don't know what it was like for you in terms of getting into this career, but for me, its it's been something that literally feels like it's fun. And I love giving back and I love seeing people get better. And I know that you're one also who loves to do that. So I had to have you on the show today just to really highlight the work you've been doing and talk about that journey. So thank you for being on the show today. Of course. Great. Happy to be here. No problem. Listen, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. I know that you are a former softball player, and I'm curious about what sparked the softball journey, because I've had a number of therapists on the show who played a variety of sports, myself included. And I'm always curious what got them into doing the sport that they chose to do in high school or in college. So what sparked the passion behind your softball journey? I mean, I think uh, like a lot of people, their parents just expose them to all different sports as they're getting uh, growing up. And so I started with T-ball and, you know, kind of uh, moved through um, as I got older. But I also played other sports. Uh, I played basketball. I did a little bit of soccer. I tried field hockey. Definitely wasn't for me. Um, but probably, I guess, around like uh, 11 years old, I started um taking private pitching lessons and hitting lessons and started to play more competitively on club teams. And we would travel, you know, um, probably mostly East coast, um, on the weekends and in fall or in the summer and in fall ball. So it got a little bit more uh, competitive. So I think by the time I was in uh, high school, there was a lot of finances dedicated to those traveling teams. And so made the decision to kind of focus on softball. It was my strongest sport. I'm not very uh, blessed in the vertical department. I'm pretty short. So uh, basketball wasn't going to be in the cards uh, for me, likely. Uh, but it was I loved I also loved basketball. I thought it was a fun sport. But softball pitching uh, is so much fun. You control the pace of the game and you're involved in every play of the game. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed uh, pitching. And when I wasn't pitching, I would be in the outfield because um, that's also very fun to run down fly balls and, you know, steal the, you know, ruin the uh, flow for the batter and kind of steal that from them. So I really enjoyed all aspects um, of the game. So I think ultimately it was parents getting me in mostly my father getting me involved in softball and then uh, just really becoming uh, good at something and realizing that it was, you know, fun, the competition, and then it was great to win. Uh, so pretty yeah. much how that, I got involved. That, that's, I mean, that's, that's the dream by itself, right? You, you, you figure out what you're good at and then you, you run that thing until the wheels fall off and you've done that. And, you know, for someone like me who, I've also played a variety of sports from track and field to basketball to soccer, cross country, skiing, whatever else. You know, finding a passion for one thing 
and seeing that you're really good at that one thing is is stellar. And then when you succeed in that and uh, people are, are, are congratulating you and you get the accolades for it, you just build so much confidence. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to teach my, my daughter that now. She's seven years old and she's oh. getting into running. She's getting into swimming. Mm-hmm. She's not the best swimmer, but she's getting more confident with it. But it's all those things, just, you know, exposure, like you said, just getting them out there and just doing more things. And then you find your your niche and then it's a wrap after that. So um, I'm glad that you stuck with it and you did so well with it. And, you know, being named one of the ESPN Academic All-Americans is a big deal. Um, I was a nominee back in school, but, you know, I wasn't named one of them, which, which was cool. And I'm curious for you, because I've spoken to a number of people who have not... Um, uh, been a part of the academic and athletic community when it comes to their college career or even in grad school, right? And they were, were even not exposed to it, whether their parents weren't into it or thought ac- academics was going to be more important so they just straight their kids away from it. But you were a stellar person when it came to academia and athletics. And many people believe that those two things should be separate um, or that you can't really balance the two together successfully. But you've done so, as have I, but you've done so. And I'm curious, um, you know, how has the discipline of the game of softball helped you in terms of your academic pursuits, in terms of undergrad, and even in terms of your your board search that you've taken so far? You've done so many things in terms of grad school. I'm sure that these disciplines you did for softball and all the sports helped you to prepare for the rigorous uh, schooling you had to do for PT school and, and beyond that. So how did that help you to get through these things? Yeah, I think they say that the busiest people get the most done. And I, I really truly do believe, believe that. And when you, you know, playing organized sports teaches you so much just about life in general and discipline and commitment um, and accountability. So I feel like going through even just high school, right? You take some pretty competitive classes and you're, you'll have practice. And so you're kind of juggling uh, your studies with your practice and you need to be practicing in the off season and kind of constantly refining your craft and practice, 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 because that's the only way you're ever going to kind of get better. And so I do feel like doing both helps you tremendously with time management in life. Um, so I was very busy in high school between the two college. It just kind of ramped up even more. Um, you know, uh, then I also played my first year of grad school. So it was uh, extremely busy because we had class, you know, from like eight to five. So that's when I started getting up at like four or five in the morning and studying before I went to class and then going to practice and coming home and, you know, repeat studying, get up kind of, you know, that cycle of uh, just using every minute possible um, in the day to accomplish what you're, what you're trying to um, get through. So I do feel like, it teaches you so much about time management and discipline. And then I graduated and then I had a full-time job. And then I also worked another job to help pay off my school loans. And while I was doing that, I was, you know, pursuing my OCS and then the dry needling certification. So, so on and so forth. It just changes shape. I'm just as busy now as I was when I was in high school, but I'm no longer playing in the dirt. Now I have a, a full, you know, full-time job and a family. So I, I just feel like that ability to manage all of the kind of moving parts in your life all start uh, when you're when you're young and you're you're growing up and you're in school, so you don't really have any free time. You're kind of using every possible minute of your day to uh, fit everything in. Uh, so I think it's you know the more time free time you have, I don't know necessarily that people get more accomplished with it if you don't have specific things you're kind of trying to to accomplish. So um, 
yeah, it's kind of time management, I think is huge. Time management yeah. and discipline between the two. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. You said you played softball while you were in grad school? Yeah. So I, um, undergrad was three years and I still had one year of eligibility left. So I did play my first year of grad school. And interestingly enough, actually, um, my catcher too, at the time, um, played in grad school as well. And they actually did discouraged it, uh, in my PT program. You know, I had uh, requested like a morning anatomy lab and I got placed in the afternoon anatomy lab, um, in the fall semester. And, you know, grad school was supposed to be too difficult that you couldn't successfully do the two things. Um, so I think that was also good. My catcher was also a very strong student and she was an ESPN academic all American as well. And so I do feel like by us showing them that it can be done as long as your priorities are well aligned and you're really focused. So I've kind of seen a change even just through Facebook posts uh, through the university where they actually are now celebrating uh, people who do the kind of thing that we did and asking for their support when they're, you know, towards the end of their season and in uh, conference, you know, games and um, tournaments. And so I, I kind of feel like that's a nice thing now that it's not necessarily discouraged to try to pursue both, but actually supported. I like you, Catherine, because you're, <laughs> you're kind of like me. So a lot of people um, are, are not like us, right? They're like, you know what? I'm not going to do all these things. I'd rather just rest. I'd rather just take my time. I'd rather not have my day packed with so many things. A lot of people like just chill. Um, mm -hmm. When I was in grad school also, I was a part of so I, I, I went to grad school, but I had four years between when I graduated from undergrad at Brown and then started gra uh, grad school at Downstate. So I worked and then I went to grad school at Downstate and I played basketball there. And there was a team that was called, um, we made our team Gravity Eliminated, super corny, I know, but it was great. And um, it was discouraged. The, the program director was like, yeah, you, you couldn't, you should not do this. It is not highly recommended that you do this while you're doing school because, you know, you can, you can fail out and whatever else. And it was so fun because it was, for one, a distressor for me because it got me out of the, the headspace of all the things we had to study for all the time. Um, but it also became a camaraderie thing for us as, as a class because we had PTs, we had OTs um, together on this team. And we used to go against the medical students and other, other uh, disciplines. And we won championships actually in grad school. So it was a lot of fun for me doing that, but it was so discouraged. So to hear you say that you actually did that for your first year, just lets me know that, you know, it's all about, you said, time management. It's about balance. It's about making sure that you know your priorities and just staying focused. You can do all these things. You can make the most of the day if you just make sure that you're always on it. But I think the hard thing is, like you said, some people, they just, they're, they're not always on it. You know, being being scheduled, like you said, your catcher was also as focused as you were. So you guys got those things done. But sometimes if you don't have that mindset, yeah, that can definitely be overwhelming for some. So... I'm impressed at what you've been doing so far. And it looks like what you've been doing in undergrad, you've carried over into your regular life with your certifications and all that you're doing. You successfully have earned so many certs, right? Your CHT, um, your OCS. And, you know, in school, we're educated about the entire body, right? We learn about everything from head to toe um, in its entirety. But in the hospital setting, uh, upper extremity and lower extremity are sometimes split when it comes to pathologies and how we should be treating things as PTs versus treating things as OTs. Even in some of our clinics, right, this still kind of holds true. So I'm curious now, as you are a PT and also a CHT, um, has this opened up doors and eyes, do you think, to people around you or even people that you work with, that you interact with in terms of how our profession 
can expand in terms of what we know and how we can treat everything from the head to the toe. Yeah, I mean, our uh, we take medical school anatomy and we're very well suited to treat all musculoskeletal pathologies. You know, we should basically own musculoskeletal system as our specialty. Nobody really takes the muscles as their kind of specialty, right? We have kind of like cardiology and then, you know, within medicine, right? And everything's so kind of segmented and nobody really owns the muscular system. And I feel like we are so well suited uh, with our anatomical and biomechanical knowledge um, to do that. And, you know, obviously within that system is also the upper extremity. And I feel like because of our more global kind of regional interdependent knowledge of the, the way that all of things are connected and interdependent, are very well suited to uh, kind of be the, the go-to practitioner for upper extremity pathology. You know, oftentimes even patients coming in with uh, like a lateral elbow pain or um, even a shoulder pathology, you can't really compartmentalize and only treat that that area. And so having knowledge of thoracic spine, and even if you're kind of looking more globally into the core and contralateral hip and the way that's connected to their shoulder. And so I think we're very well suited uh, as physical therapists um, to be treating upper extremity. It's kind of nice too, when you are kind of specialized, you get to see some of the more intricate kind of post-op patients with those diagnoses, more trauma, uh, like tendon lacerations that you definitely wouldn't really see as, uh, and it's not really something that we cover too in depth in our schooling as physical therapists, but um, that's also a really nice kind of perk of like hand therapy specifically. Uh, But even just for the more uh, conservative, repetitive diagnoses that we may uh, see, I think we're very well suited uh, because of our more global, uh, before because of our global knowledge. Um, to treat those patients. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it because I think for such a long time, there was such a taboo between, you know, well, PTs can't do that. Yeah, you can't do upper extremity. That's for the OTs. And no, no, you got to stick with lower extremity, especially in the hospital setting. So I haven't been in that setting for a long time, clearly. But even when people come to us sometimes in certain clinics, right? And they come with us with a script that may say hand therapy or it may say, you know, um, maybe they come forward and shoulder, but their actual hand hurts as a result, you know, and sometimes people are straight away or they're pushed away, especially if it's like a, a new, a new PT who might not be comfortable seeing someone from a diagnosis or what have you. Um, there have been some places, not us in particular, but some places that will send people to other places because they don't want to, not can't, but don't feel comfortable or just haven't really treated those things traditionally in their clinics. So. I'm grateful that there are therapists like you who are saying, you know what? No, no, no. This is what we do. Come on in, right? We'll see you for everything. If it's your hand, your shoulder, your neck, whatever else. Because like you said, interdependence is definitely a thing where, you know, if someone's hand or shoulder hurts, we know joints above and below can be affected. And for us to be able to look at those things and be able to help people with those things is a very vital service that I'm just hoping all therapists remember this is what we do. We are the specialists. We should really be taking this thing by the horns and taking it with pride, saying that we can really treat everything from the head to toe, including the shoulder and the upper extremity and those things and the hand and the elbow. And those things are things that, as we learned in school, we should not um, stray away from as we continue to practice in our clinics and in our profession. So I salute you for that. And I hope that more therapists will continue to say, you know what? Yeah, bring on the tennis elbows. Bring on the 
uh, epicondylitis issues. Let's, this is what we do on a regular basis, not just for OTs, but this is what we do as well. So, well done. Um, you mentioned in your bio about orthotic fabrication, and I know that um, we haven't really talked a lot on this show about what that even means or how that fits into the scope of PT practice. Do you mind just taking a second and talking to us about how that has become an integral part of what you do as a clinician for your patients? Yeah, of course. So uh, custom orthosis fabrication is not something that I had any introduction to in physical therapy school. Uh, and I think a lot of programs don't include it. There's so much to cover. Um, but I, that's why one of the reasons I did the fellowship uh, was to get that experience and that training because the number one reason why orthoses are, are fabricated is to protect um protect an area, whether the surgeon has done a repair that needs to be protected or they have a fracture that needs to be protected while it heals. Um, so the you know physician will uh, request a specific type of uh, orthoses to be fabricated and you have to make it for the patient and make it comfortable and they'll wear that for a period of time. It need to be modified over time. Uh, then we can also use um, orthoses to help regain range of motion. So in the case of like stiffness that might develop in the elbow, wrist, or in the fingers, we can use static progressive principles uh, to affect that, uh, you know, tissue extensibility and, and regain range of motion. So we can kind of use it as more of a protective measure. We can use it to help restore range of motion. Uh, sometimes we need to be able to protect something while still allowing enough mobility for people to accomplish their sport. You know, uh, in the case of like someone who had a, a thumb UCL and they want to go back to playing. So you just fabricate something very low profile so that they're not at risk or they're at less risk of kind of re-injuring, but being able to still accomplish their sport. You know, musicians too, they need to still be able to uh, have the mobility to play their instruments. So you get to exercise that creativity and, in those regards, uh, less creativity in terms of when it's just a post-op, uh, you know, you're trying to just protect uh, protect the repair that the surgeon has performed. So there's just kind of a, a gamut of uh, use, uses for different orthotics and you're just limited by your creativity, right? You have right. a specific task you're trying to accomplish and however you can make that happen, whether it's with thermoplastics or neoprene or sewing Velcro and strapping and however you can have that uh, achieved so it's kind of fun that's great that's great and you know i i've dabbled in that a little bit not as much as you clearly but you know we learn about those things a little bit in school but having the hand training that you've had clearly you've taken that to the next level and you're helping people on a regular basis to get back to what they want to do whether it's a profession or whether it's just their, their personal ex exploits my question for you now is what are some of the more common injuries that you see now as hand injuries because i know you know Hand things can happen all the time, depending on what profession that we are, are, are into. Um, and that even as therapists, you know, us injuring our hands is, is a big deal because that's our ability to work. So, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen that have been the most common things? And do you have any tips on how people, if these things are happening, can avoid uh, these injuries, if, if there are any? Right. Uh, so I'd say one of the most common things that we're, we see are fractures. So, you know, elbow fractures, distal radius fractures. Uh, finger fractures, metacarpals are probably one of the more common things. As far as like elective surgeries go, uh, like carpal tunnel and trigger finger release are the, was some of the most common. Most of the time people don't actually need therapy, but in the event that they do have some residual stiffness, edema, things we need to address, they'll come to hand therapy. 
uh, thumb UCL repairs are very common. Uh, hands, uh, you know, hand surgery that we see. But uh, I guess the short answer would be fractures. Uh, we do also see uh, not as commonly, fortunately, like tendon repairs. So tendon lacerations uh, that the surgeon will then uh, repair. And so I'd say in the event of trying to avoid those, um, don't be, or be very careful when you're slicing an avocado. Those are very common injuries and don't separate hamburgers, frozen hamburgers, hot dogs with a knife. Right. Yeah. Mm. That's another kind of big one. So keeping sharp objects away from our delicate tendons, yeah. our fingers. Yeah. No, that's good advice. <laughs> like, trauma is probably the number one, like cause of the injuries that we're seeing. So whether that's resulting in a, you know, in a fracture or some form of a, you know, laceration. Gotcha. Yeah. We see, you know, in my clinic, we see a lot of clearly like lower extremity stuff and, and shoulder stuff clearly and even elbow but when it comes to actual fractures of the digits you know metacarpals and whatnot we don't see a lot of those so um mm -hmm. you reminded me now of myself when i was in grad school i actually broke my my um my distal um failings yeah my distal failings playing basketball I, I literally just tried to jab into somebody to, to go for a steal and it hurt so bad and i was like oh what's what's going on and i didn't think it was fractured that was the last thought on my mind I thought, oh, I probably just jammed it or, you know, sprained it or whatever else. And this is like early on, my, my first year in school. I didn't have, really have any idea of like how to fix things yet. It's <laughs> just more like what anatomy was. So um, I, I kind of splinted it, but not the best way. And I ended up having um, an issue with my ligaments. So I, my, my, my finger won't all the way extend on this finger. And I, I've known that for years and it's been whatever it has been. But I think a lot of people, you know, when these things do happen, like you said, the fractures and the trauma, um, they get scared. And no one wants to go to the ER or, or to go to urgent care. They don't know what to do exactly. But when they do have uh, issues when they go to see somebody and they get fixed or they get surgery, and then they come to see you, I know a lot of the things that we see in the clinic is the same for you when it comes to restoring confidence, re restoring someone's um, knowledge that this is going to get better. Because it always seemed like it's not going to get better, right? The pain is just so intense. The trauma was so unbearable. How can this get back to how they wanted to be before? Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the things that you implement or share with your patients when, you know, you see them on, on the table or they have a hand issue and they're freaking out about either going back to playing an instrument or going back to their profession where they need their hands for that, right? They need to be able to use their hands to make money, to provide for their family, to get through their regular work week. You know, what are some of the things that you share with your patients to say, you know what, everything's going to be okay, this is going to be fine, and you will get back to your regular scheduled program. You know, what do you do to, to kind of inspire that confidence in your patients when you in, in, in interact with them in this way? Yeah, I explain to them that when you're in it and you're in pain and you're very limited in your emotion, it's kind of hard to ever imagine your life without this impairment in the future. Like, it's kind of like you're stuck in this vortex of just negative thinking. Sometimes uh, I feel like that can happen. Even in the past, when I've had my own episodes of pain, it's just like, Oh man, like this is so consuming. Like I can't even imagine my life without it and again. And then you, you get better and you're kind of like, Oh yeah, like I, I did get out of that. But when you have a patient who's 
you know, life has been completely disrupted, especially, I mean, everybody says, well, I need my hands. I really need my hands. Like everybody really needs their hands. Like, right. It's really part of our every day kind of really need all of our body parts, but people are constantly saying that. Um, And so kind of setting expectations is a huge, I think, part of success in treatment of any area of the body. Uh, And depending on what they've been through, what was done surgically, you know, the expectation might not be the way it was before. Um, Good as new sometimes isn't what we are capable of with our kind of current uh, repair techniques. A lot of the times it is. And so, you know, setting the expectations and telling them timelines, this is, you know, we're trying to get your range of motion back within these, you know, first X amount of weeks, and we'll work on strengthening, you know, after that less of an urgency for that. So it's kind of giving them a goal for when we, when we want to get their range of motion back, and then also pointing out gains that they've made. So I usually do like a pre-treatment post-treatment measurement and, you know, we'll compare them. Oh, look at how much better it is now. And then even between treatments. So next time they come in and, you know, you're doing progress notes and telling them, oh, you, you know, when you first came in, you were this much. And so just keeping them, giving them some objective measurements to keep them focused um, and, you know, uh, just kind of keeping them on that timeline, I think is very helpful for those incremental gains and constantly reminding them that it's incremental progress that we're really after. It's little by little and, and we'll get there because people do, they get discouraged and we want it yesterday because we're human and we're impatient. And why am I still stiff? And why is my finger still swollen? Uh, or, you know, and it's just like, these things take time, you're going to get better, you know? And so just a lot of reassuring coaching, um, reminding them of the progress that they've made. Sometimes people come in and I know better. I feel like I'm exactly the same. And you look back and you're like, well, actually when you first came in, your PIP joint was only bending to, you know, 30 degrees and now you're actually at 75. So you're doing better. So I feel like those kinds of things really help to keep spirits up or kind of redirect their, uh, mindset when things kind of go awry. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I co-sign all of that. I think that's incremental gains is exactly the word to use. And, you know, when I think about physical therapy, it is that, you know, a lot of our job is just reminding people that they're getting better a little bit every single day and they can't see it, right? Because it looks the same to them every single time. But when we see them every, you know, other day or every third visit, um, we, we see that progress and we can measure that progress with objective findings. So, that's the beauty, at least for me, when I see people getting better and you're just restoring them uh, from the inside out, letting them like, you know what, you are getting better compared to last week, compared to last month. This is your progress. And when they do see that, like you're saying, it's 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 heartwarming. You know, it's rewarding. It lets you know that what you're doing is 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 on the right track. So um, I know that as as a CHT, you do a, a lot of these things on a regular basis, um, and I'm curious. All the CHTs that I know are actually occupational therapists. Um, so I'm curious if you've ever felt any pushback or resistance or um, any interactions that were competitive in terms of you being a PT who's also a CHT, uh, whether in your previous jobs or even where you're working right now. I wouldn't say that I've had like any kind of like pushback or anything uh, like that. I think actually there's more confusion in the um kind of physician world that explaining or that they'll uh, refer their patient to, they'll say you need occupational therapy, um, but not realizing that physical therapists pursue certified hand therapy specialization as well. And so kind of educating patients that um, actually 
PTs and OTs can both pursue specialization in hand therapy. And, um, you know, we're very well suited to be treating these kinds of conditions and pursuing the specialty. So I think there's a lot of education that goes on uh, to patients and even to some physicians. Most physicians are aware, but uh, just kind of the wording on the prescription can be confusing uh, for the patient to, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I thought I needed occupational therapy. And it's like, well, actually, in outpatient setting like this, certified hand therapists can be PTs or OTs, and you're going to receive, you know, the same uh, treatment and restore your function. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, where I did my training uh, at HSS, there were PTCHTs and OTCHTs. So I, you know, that was very kind of well accepted there. And, uh, you know, patients knew that they were going to receive uh, the same level of care from both practitioners. You know, I think it's, our training is slightly different going through school. So maybe you're looking at things through a slightly different lens, but in an outpatient kind of orthopedic based setting, I, I think there's, you know, not much difference uh, between the care you're going to receive all the same things. You're going to be working on your range of motion, your strength. Um, you can make things a little bit more like occupation based or ADL based, um, you know, maybe more so through an OT, but uh, still, it's all about function and what they're trying to get back to. So, yeah, that's great. And you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm happy to hear that at HSS there were a lot of PTs and OTs who were doing the CHT together. Because I wouldn't say parents... there were less. There were less uh, PTs who were okay. CHTs. Okay. But I kind of think that as a profession, and even in school, it wasn't really something that was talked about too much. And so like even the people who founded like our American society of hand therapy, um, you know, there were six people and two of them were PTs. So, mm -hmm. I mean, being a PTCHT is not a new thing and uh, we're very well suited to be treating the upper extremity. So I think it's almost a little bit of like an awareness of preparedness. Like it's hard to break into it because if you don't have the training, no one wants to hire you. And if you, mm -hmm how do you get the training if no one will hire you and train you? So it's kind of one of those, one of those things that is challenging. And I think that we're doing a little bit of a disservice to our clinicians, our physical therapists and not having, I guess we enough training in it or intro to it in school. I mean, we learn the anatomy in mm -hmm. depth of the upper extremity and the hand and everything related, you know, even all our orthopedic tests and musculoskeletal classes, you know, we learned all of that, but there's, no, uh, there was no orthosis fabrication or really any talk of some of the kind of other things that could could happen um, in the upper extremity. So it's kind of yeah. a, like long-winded. No, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's why whenever I meet a CHC as a PT, I'm, I'm always like, wow, how'd that happen? You know, what role did you take? How do you get into it? So because like you said, it wasn't taught in school like that. Um, mm -hmm. For OTs, absolutely it was. But for us, it just wasn't. It was kind of brushed over. Um, we talked about it, right? We discussed it, but in terms of application and, and process, it didn't, we didn't go in depth with those things. So um, you've used this platform now in terms of your certifications to, again, broaden the horizon for PTs who are CHTs and also to enlighten and inform physicians that we also can do this. And in, in so doing so, it seems that you've been fostering great physician relationships, right? That's kind of been the backbone of, of how we've grown as a profession and how great offices like JAG1 have continued to grow um, to be as big as we are. Can you give some tips to the younger generation of PTs who are now coming out um, on how this can be done successfully 
and why how we can do that while still catering to our patients i think a lot of times we as clinicians get very very busy with our patients and we do sometimes forget about the community that brings the patients to us whether it's patients who are actually in the building or their moms dads brothers sisters cousins or the physicians right who refer those patients to us those can really uh, make or break an office right or make or break um, a profession. So, you know, how important are these relationships really to making sure that we can continue to strive and grow? And, you know, what are some of the things that you do as a clinician to make sure that you're so fostering these things on a regular basis? Yeah, so I think when I, before I specialized in hand therapy, uh, I worked in pra private practices that we actually saw a lot of direct access patients. Uh, so then your kind of community outreach and uh, word of mouth becomes huge, uh, not requiring, you know, people who to get a physician's prescription to come and see you. So I think that was kind of a, a really nice aspect of just kind of treating, being the musculoskeletal expert for injuries that people have. In the hand world, I feel like it's definitely um, different and more heavily physician referred. So these, you know, we, I have better relationships with physicians as a hand therapist than I did as treating as a physical therapist exclusively, um, you know, the whole body. So I do feel like uh, hand surgeons are more particular about where their patients are receiving their rehab, making sure that they are under the care of somebody who does see these types of um, injuries and post-op kind of precautions regularly. So I feel like one of the best ways to foster relationships and have communication is communication around the patient and the patient that is in your clinic that uh, is seeing this physician and keeping them updated and keeping those lines of communication open uh, in terms of any questions that you have or a splint you want to make for them. Um, really helps to foster that relationship because we're all here for the patient and we all want the patient to have a great outcome. And it's kind of that, co that um, coordination of care that becomes so important. So I feel like finding that kind of commonality with the patient is one of the best ways to open the lines of communication uh, with a physician, especially if there's someone that you've been trying to formulate a relationship with. If you have that patient to speak to them about um, and, you know, you can have that kind of level of conversation where they can understand that you know what you're talking about and uh, raise your, their confidence level uh, with you as a clinician, I feel like is one of the kind of best ways to foster that physician-therapist relationship. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that when we do that well, it's almost easy, right? It's almost mm -hmm. like now that the doors are open and communication is there, we're talking about both parties or community coming together for the one purpose of getting this person to be better and feel better then it's, it's easy. And once trust is involved, the same way when we talk to our patients, when trust is really there and it's initiated and the basis is there, then everything else after that is is clockwork. So you've been doing a great job of that at, at your clinic and in your profession, so I appreciate you for that. And that's why I had to have you on the show today because you are one of the PTs that was on the list of someone who we believe at Jag One is being more today. And the phrase be more today has been a phrase that I've asked a number of people on this show, now over a hundred people have given me some tip or some thought for what Be More Today means to them. So Catherine Haskins, you are up. When you hear the phrase Be More Today, what does that phrase mean to you? I think that that phrase means to me that I'm trying to be the best version that I can be 
on a daily basis. So to have intention um, with my time and how, you know, using that time very deliberately in order to achieve the things that I'm trying to get, get to. So I think time is my most, one of my most valuable assets. And so being very intentional and deliberate about how I'm spending that time uh, will kind of help me to be more. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Catherine, what's next on the docket for you? Any plans for the rest of this year in terms of more certs? I know you have a lot of family things going on. So what's next <laughs> for you, if anything, as we're closing out 2022 pretty soon? Um, for the rest of the year, I'm actually, uh, back in 2013, I uh, took all the courses and became uh, certified in trigger point dry needling. And then there was some legislative issues and uh it was kind of said it wasn't in our scope of practice back in 2017, but in the beginning of this year, we uh, did pass a, some legislation that allowed us to do it again. And although I meet the statute as it's currently written with all of my education and the timeline that's now required, I did take it all in 2013. Uh, they're requesting that I retake it so that I am, um, you know, nice and refreshed and ready to go. So I'm um, just retaking uh, some of those courses and looking forward to kind of adding that back into my toolbox for my patients. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we had some PT talking about dry needling uh, earlier this month. So I'm glad that that's being stated again and again. Another thing that we can do that yep. some people thought we couldn't do. But, oh yeah, I mean, it was it's such a useful tool, and I you know from 2013 to 2017 used it daily. Um, it was a huge part of our practice. I treated a lot of patients with chronic pain, a lot of head, neck, and jaw pain, and uh, it's it's a super effective adjunct to everything else that we do. You know, it's not the end all be all. You still have to reinforce you know what you're doing and um, new motor motor patterns and reinforcing proper proper movement after you address the area, but uh, it's an awesome tool to have in your box. So looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm happy for you guys too. We can't do it in New York yet, but it's all good. <laughs> One day, maybe, yeah. we'll see, we'll see. Catherine Hassan, I appreciate you for being on the show. Thank you so much for making the time and the effort to be here. And we look forward to all you're doing in the future. And thank you so much. Thanks, it's been great. Have a nice yeah. day. Yeah, you too. And folks, don't forget what she said. So many great things, right? Talking about uh, transformation, talking about taking incremental gains. It's really about that, right? Pick, make sure that you take some time to go up there and to remember the process. It's not going to happen overnight. The same way she's telling her patients, it's not going to happen overnight and take some small gains to get there. That transformation that everybody wants, uh, you will get there, but it's going to take some time. And the inconvenience required to transform is, is the hard part, right? It takes the dedication, the work, the time, the effort. Even Catherine going back and doing her dry kneeling course all over again, right? Even though she's done it already, she's going to do it because she knows she wants to get that thing done, not just for herself, but for her community and for her patients. So we're going to have roadblocks. We're going to have things that get in our way, whether it's an injury, whether it's a fracture, whether it's um, a course you have to take over, or just life. These things are going to happen. But if you continue to keep moving forward and stay on the grind, you too will be the best version of you. So we thank Catherine being on the show today and all our other guests for this month. We got one, two more guests coming on for the show. So just stay tuned for those things for the rest of this month. As always, folks, check out our page if you want today for my book, 
uh, our more merch, our podcast, which is going to be everywhere on all major podcast platforms, and of course on YouTube. If you want to send me any questions personally or for Catherine, email me at drshawn at bemoretoday.com or send me a message on Be More Today PT on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. As I always say, have a good day, have a good night, have a great life, and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. We'll see you next week. Peace. journey starts with a thought, a vision, fueled by a why. But what's your why? Why do you want to be more today than you were yesterday? You already know that you have to trust the process and just be persistent. You already know that next level results require next level effort, period. But why is today different than any other day? What's your why? How are you going to get to the next level? Most of you want to make it to the promised land of success, but aren't willing to make the sacrifices. Let me be clear. Nobody said it was going to be easy. No handouts. No excuses. It's just you versus you. It's go time. Find your wife for the 5 a.m. wake-up call. Find your wife for the extra mile you have to do after the workout. Find your wife to face that fear. Take that test. Make that move. Come on, y'all. Your whole life has been a warm-up for this moment right here, today. Are you finally ready to play? You gotta decide to stay always on the move. Less talk, more action. Just be better. Just be more. Be more today. You